0: Let's pray this morning and then we'll take um, a look at the message here uh, that we have. Lord, thank you so much that we can gather this morning. Thank you that you are here with us by your spirit. Lord, may we sense your spirit's presence here this morning. May we listen as you speak to us. Uh, your your spirit will speak and bring conviction. Your word speaks. I pray that what I share this morning will be in agreement with what you have revealed to us from your word. Lord, thank you that you don't leave us in the dark, but that you have communicated with us. Lord, thank you that Kingwood belongs to you. This is your church family. And Father, I come humbly recognizing that I have a privilege and a responsibility to be faithful to you, To proclaim the truth of your word. We look to you now. In the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. This is the conclusion of Esther. The book of Esther. uh, Our fourth week here. On this. I don't know if you. Even know about this. Some of you will. Some of you probably don't. Example, my wife knew about this. I did not know about this. I, I don't always watch news enough. Uh, sometimes I get discouraged by watching the news, so I just don't watch the news at all. Uh, <clears throat> and I'm not really one I don't watch beauty pageants at all. That's not me, okay? But in 2015, Steve Harvey was the man who was the host of Miss, uh, not Miss America, Miss Universe, okay? Now, I put a picture up here of Steve Harvey so that you might know who he is. You might be thinking, oh, he's the family feud guy, okay? And if that's the case, that's that would be correct, okay? He was the host of Miss Universe. The reason I share this this morning is because as he was announcing the winners, there were the two finalists, and it was Miss Columbia, And Miss Philippines. These were the two finalists. And Steve Harvey, as he looked at his note cards that were given to him, he read the wrong name. And he actually they ended up crowning Miss Columbia as the winner of Miss Universe. And she was able to bask in her glory for all of two and a half minutes. Steve Harvey had already exited the stage. He was off the stage. And then he was told, you have to go back on stage and make things right. And so he got on there and he basically just said, folks, I apologize, It was correct on the card. I made a mistake and I incorrectly awarded the wrong winner. And so the crown was actually taken off of Mrs. Columbia and placed on Mrs. Philippines, the rightful winner. That is a reversal. (laughs) I have been, we've been working through Esther and I've been saying that this is also a reversal story. Why do we call it a reversal story? Well, because people who are in position of high power are demoted and people of low position are promoted and they are given these positions of higher power. So much reversal taking place In the book of Esther. Today I want us to work through the remaining part or most of the remaining part of the book of Esther. So if you have your Bibles, take your Bible and turn to Esther chapter 6. Esther chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, there is a Bible in the P rack in front of you. You're welcome to follow along there. While you're turning, just a little bit of review King Xerxes is the king of Persia. He reigned over 127 provinces, reigning from Kush to India. And he was a king who was consumed with himself. He thought highly of himself. He, he loved the power that he had. And he wanted to let all of his kingdom know that he had the power. And so the Bible tells us that he threw a banquet. Remember I've said this was a book of banquets? He threw a banquet. Well, he threw, first off, a demonstration of his power for 180 days, six months' time, to just let people see and observe the greatness and grandeur of his kingdom. And then there was a banquet thrown for seven days. And at the end of that seven day period he asked for his wife one of his wives his most prized wife it was messed up asked for her to come and display her beauty and she refused that but because she refused to do so she was banished from the king's presence and it was decided then at that point that they would find someone to replace her four years passed And then a search was made for all of the beautiful young virgins in the Persian Empire. Esther is one of those people of noble childbirth. Just simple Jewish girl. But we're told that she was beautiful. And she was chosen to go in. And I really believe that this was regardless of whether she wanted this or not. She was forced into this harem. And the harem spent one year of beautifying themselves. Can you imagine that? One whole year to beautify themselves so that each of these girls could go and spend a night with the king. And then the king would choose which of these young virgins he wanted as his wife. And he chose Esther. And Esther took this position of authority under the king. She became Queen Esther. Enter Haman. Now if there have been plays that have been done by this, and if Haman's name is ever mentioned in the play, a lot of times there is crowd participation and it's boo from the crowd, boo when you hear Haman. I'm not necessarily asking you to do that this morning, but you can be thinking that when you hear Haman, it's Boo, I don't like this guy. He's the bad guy. Enter Haman. Haman, yes, there you go. (laughs) Haman had a position of authority, and he was actually elevated into more authority under King Xerxes. Interestingly enough, King Xerxes is the one that made it law, that whenever Haman passed through the city streets, the people were to bow down to Haman. Everyone did so except for Mordecai. Mordecai is the cousin, the older cousin, the guardian of Queen Esther. And he is Jewish, as is Esther. But he would not bow down to Haman. Now, Haman did not actually realize that this was taking place until people under him told him about it. Isn't it interesting how sometimes things don't really bother you until someone else comes and tells you, this should really bother you. Doesn't this bother you? Well, yes, that does bother me. Who is this person? He will not bow down to me. Tell me about this Mordecai. I don't like him already. Oh, he's a Jew. I'll kill him. No, I'll go beyond that. I won't just kill him. I'll, call, I'll kill his whole Jewish people. Evil man. Ridiculous man. And, and he became intent on killing Mordecai, or killing Mordecai and all of the people. Well, <clears throat> let's continue on here in Esther chapter 6. Looking um, at the rest of this this narrative here. Esther chapter 6, verse 1. That night the king could not sleep. So he ordered the books, the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's. Officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. You recall this is something that we read about earlier. Verse 3. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. The king said, who is in the court? I want you to be considering as I'm reading this. The providence of God. I want you to think about the providence that is evident here. Who is in the court? Now, Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows he had erected for him. His attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. When Haman entered, the king asked him, What should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought to himself, Who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So he answered the king, For the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Go at once, the king commanded. Haman Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. Pause there. Do you see the providence of God? I've been telling you the last three weeks, the providence of God is the overarching theme of Esther. And it has been foggy at best. I mean, we have been, I think we, we look at Xerxes and we say he's an evil man all about himself. I don't like this. We see Haman who, ri- who rises to power. He's another evil man. I don't like this. We, we see a decree that is issued for the annihilation, the genocide of the Jewish people. I don't like this. I don't see the providence of God. But just because we don't see the providence of God does not mean that he is not acting. Sometimes when it is the least clear, God is setting the stage for a great display of his power. I believe that is what God is doing In the book of Esther. So providential, I believe, that while while Mordecai and Esther are, I trust, fast asleep, King Xerxes cannot sleep. I believe that is providential. He can't sleep. What do you do when you can't sleep? Drink warm milk have you heard that before? If you can't sleep, go drink some more milk. Count sheep. I can't sleep. Try counting sheep. I've tried it before. I have had some people tell me, if you can't sleep, Nathan, pray. Just begin to pray. Not, not because you're going to fall asleep. Maybe you're awake for a reason. And I, I I oftentimes, when I wake up at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and I find I can't sleep, after five minutes or so of trying to get myself back to sleep, I say, okay, God, is there someone I should be praying for? And and if God brings, or not just if, as God brings people, and honestly speaking, it's it's always you guys, as God brings you to my mind, I begin to pray for you. Well, this is not how Xerxes goes about it. When he can't sleep, he says, I think I would like to have the book of the Chronicles read to me. Now, I'm just thinking, wow, that's not exactly what I do. Hey, I think, I think I'd like to have a book, have the book of the Chronicles. Now, it wasn't, it was not the book of like first and second Chronicles being read, but he wanted to have the Chronicles read. He wanted history read to him. And so history is read to him. I think this is providential here again. And and I really wonder, these attendants, these people who were there to serve the king, I really wonder where they were at in all of this. Did they have full support of King Xerxes or did they see through this? Now, I know that their position called them to serve the king at all times, regardless of whether they liked the man or not. They were just there to devote themselves to him. But I wonder if they were just kind of like, I really would like to pick a certain chronicle in particular for the king. I don't know. I find it ironic, though, that the chronicles that are read are the most recent chronicles of the last five years. And they go and they read the chronicles, which are what bring light to the king that Mordecai exposed two of the king's officials who wanted to assassinate him, exposed him. And this bothers the king because as he is laying in bed, he says to himself and asks the attendants, did we ever do anything about this to honor Mordecai? Why does he care? He has just written a decree to annihilate the Jewish people. He knows that Mordecai is a Jew. He knows this man is going to die. Why does he even care about this? I don't know. I can't help but ask the question. Why does he even care? Perhaps it is just simply the providence of God saying, I am going to make you care. This is part of my plan. I don't know what's going on here, but I do know this. King Xerxes is bothered that Mordecai has never been honored. And so in the morning, when Haman is coming into the king's presence, To request the death of Mordecai that day. Meaning, Haman is thinking, I can't even wait for the genocide of the Jewish people. I'm doing it now. And he goes to the king's presence to request the death of Haman. Because he has erected a 75 foot gallows built for the sole purpose of hanging Mordecai. He goes, and at this exact time is when Xerxes says, who's in the court? And they say, I don't know, let's look. It's Haman. Bring him here. And Haman is summoned to go and stand before the king. And the king says, I have been trying to figure something out. Would you help me with this, Haman? What do you do for the person that you would like to honor? And because Haman is full of himself, he thinks there could be no one else the king would like to honor than me. It's got to be me. So I'm going to make this good. It's going to be real good. Now, I know that when you hear this, you think, really? This is the real good? Remember, this was written 2,500 years ago, okay? This was real good. This was the real good. You get a robe that you've worn. You get a horse that you've ridden on. And you go through the streets and you shout out with your best prince. This is what the king will do for the man that he wants to honor. And Haman is so certain that it's going to be me. I'm just waiting. All right, king, just say it. Just say the words. Haman, do this. But it doesn't come out as he's expecting. Because he says, go and do this and do it for Mordecai. Mordecai? And did you notice that the king says not just Mordecai, he says, Mordecai, the Jew. Do this for Mordecai, the Jew. Was he just like, I can't even hear that. Why did King Xerxes say that? It wasn't just simply go do this for Mordecai, do this for Mordecai, the Jew. Where is Xerxes in all of this? I don't know. But he throws that out and that just had to just hit Haman. And yet he was forced to. And so he goes about this. Read on. Verse 11. So Haman got the robe and the horse. He rode Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, This is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. A little louder, Haman. This is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. A little bit more passion, Haman. This is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief and told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. His advisors and his wife, Zeresh, said to him, "Since Now listen to this. Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started... You catch that? She sees something that he doesn't see. Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin... You cannot stand against him, Haman. You will surely come to ruin. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet Esther had prepared. Providence of God. Haman is aggravated. He goes home and tells his wife. His wife and his friends are the ones who said, if you don't like the man, just kill him. Okay, so this was their idea. Just build a gallows. Builds a gallows. Not just any gallows, 75 feet tall gallows. Things are not going well for Haman. He comes back and says, this is ridiculous. Here's what happened. Here's how my day played out. And it says as he was still talking about this, the king's eunuchs came and got him. Pulled him away. He didn't even have time to respond to his wife, who said, Haman, you are on a road that is taking a you are in a nosedive position. This is you're gonna crash and burn. This is ruin. This is your ruin. The man is of Jewish origin. I leave him alone. But before he can even do anything about it, he is whisked away and he is taken to the banquet that Esther has repaired. Chapter 7. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And as they were drinking wine on that second day, the king again asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? Remember, this is the second banquet that she has thrown for the king. The first one was just simply, come. And he said, what do you want? Up to half the kingdom. And she says, if it please you, if it please the king, come to another banquet, and at that point, I will tell you. So he's saying, I I still want to know, what is this? What is this? Verse 3, the queen... Then Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor with you, O king, and if it pleases your majesty... Grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold for destruction and slaughter and annihilation. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet. Because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther... Who is he? Where is the man who has dared to do such a thing? Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage, left his wine and went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, Will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. And Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A gallows 75 feet high stands by Haman's house. He has made it for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king said, hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. Why is King Xerxes so mad? about all of this this is the decree that he signed he signed this he did not know his wife did he 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 did not even know that she is a jew she was told to remain silent about this years have gone on he still doesn't know and she says my request is that is that you would spare my life but but king not just my life my people's life all of us and he burns with anger this is the decree that he issued this is his doing and yet he burns with fury Haman, on the other hand, he knows that his fate is determined. And so he, he falls on the couch of Queen Esther begging for his life. The king comes back in, and this aggravates him all the more. Now, I find it interesting that Harbona, one of the officials, is the one who knows exactly about the gallows. And he's the one that makes the suggestion because Xerxes is, what are we going to do with, what do we even do with Haman? And his own attendant says, well, a king, if you're interested, there is a gallows that has been built yesterday by Haman. And he doesn't only know about the gallows, because I think everyone knew about the gallows. It was 75 feet tall. Now, there were no skyscrapers. This isn't 2019. Okay, so It was like, there there is something being communicated here. I want everyone to see this. It is 75 feet tall so that everyone sees what's going on here. But I also think there is something else going on here. Harmona, this official, this attendant, he knows how tall it is. He knows it's tall, but he, he knew it's 75 feet tall. Now, I'm reading in between the lines, and I know I do that a lot because I like to understand what's going on here but I think that Harbona had understood from Haman I think he's going around saying I built a gallows guess how tall it is it's 75 feet tall I want you to know that I think people knew it and Harbona is saying I know how tall it is I'll tell you it's 75 feet tall you could actually hang Haman on there And you could spare Mordecai. Remember, he's the one who actually spoke and revealed that two of your attendants were trying to kill you. Esther goes on here a little bit. I'm not going to read the rest of this, but just... Perhaps the very first 13 verses of chapter 8. That same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman. Remember, Haman has been hung on his own gallows. And Mordecai came into the presence of the king for Esther and told how he was related to her. Up until this point, he did not know. The king took off his signet ring That is the one that Haman had been wearing, which he had reclaimed from Haman and presented it to Mordecai, and Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. Esther again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him. Why is she begging him? She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman the Agagite, which he had devised against the Jews. Then the king extended the gold scepter to Esther, and she arose and stood before him. If it pleases the king, she said, and if he regards me with favor and thinks it the right thing to do, and if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches at Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agadite, and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? King Xerxes replied to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew. Because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given his estate to Esther, and they have hanged him on the gallows. Now write down another decree in the king's name on behalf of the Jews as seems best to you and seal it with the king's signet ring for no document written in the king's name and sealed with his, his ring can be revoked. At once the royal secretaries were summoned on the 23rd day of the third month, the month of Savan, they wrote out all Mordecai's orders to the Jews and to the satraps Governors and nobles of the 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. These orders were written in the script of each province and language of each people and also to the Jews in their own script and language. Mordecai wrote in the name of King Xerxes, sealed the dispatches with the king's signet ring and sent them by mounted Couriers who rode fast horses, especially bred for the king. The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate any army, force of any nationality or province that might attack them and their women and children and to and to plunder the property of their enemies. The day appointed for the Jews to do this in all the provinces of King Xerxes was the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, the month of Adar. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law to every province and made known to the people of every nationality so that the Jews would be ready on the, that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. And they did. This is a reversal story. Everything that we were first told would happen did not happen. Everyone who thought they were safe Ended up dying. People who thought they were not doing well. Who thought that their life would be taken. They were saved. This is a reversal story. But I want you to think. In closing with me. About how this relates to my life and to your life. Find it interesting that in all of the book of Esther, God's name is never mentioned once. You realize that? Isn't that interesting? Scripture is about God, Scripture is written by God. He used human authors, but it's written by God. And yet, in this narrative god's name is never mentioned once the closest we get prayer isn't even mentioned the closest that we get is fasting that the jewish people fasted together and so we assume that there is prayer taking place and we also assume that the that who they are praying to is god almighty but god's name is not mentioned Just because God's name is not mentioned does not mean that you can not see him working. God is very much at work, very much at work in the book of Esther, the providence of God. There are times where you and I sense that, God, I either don't know what you are doing here I don't know how you're going to change this and work this for good. Maybe there's times where we're just really confused about what's going on in our life. The one thing I know about life for all of us is it's difficult. It's difficult. We experience difficulty. You experience difficulty. I experience difficulty. Can we know that just because we do not see clearly God's name, does not mean that he has abandoned us in any way. God is very much at work. Oftentimes, God works behind the scenes. There there are ways where I don't see God working. I, I, I think again about when King Xerxes could not sleep Esther and Mordecai did not know what was going on, but God was still working. There are times where you do not see God working, but God is still working. He is working in other ways, setting the stage for a grandiose display of his power. He's doing that. God wants to do that. Oftentimes we are not clued into what or how or even God, why God does what he does. But can we trust him in the midst of that, knowing that, God, you are still up to something good here. You are working all things together for the good of those who love you. God is accomplishing good and God does this for his glory. So if you are walking through the the middle of something difficult, God is bringing about things which are for your ultimate good. There can be pain in the midst of that. But he is bringing about your good. And he is always going to bring about his glory. That is his focus. God's greatest display of power is often seen in the face of the greatest amount of adversity. So if you are confronted with adversity, don't run. Don't hide. God is still on the throne. He's working things together. If you are working through adversity, may you know these three things here. And I jotted these three things down last night, and I hope they make sense. But I was just thinking about this as I was going over my message again. You are loved by God. If you are in the midst of adversity, know this. Church family, know this. You are loved by God. His love does not change. It remains constant. It's the same. So whether you can feel it or not, His love is there. He loves you the same. Matter of fact, he loves you more than you will ever know. Two, God walks with you in the midst of adversity. And he is there to care for you. He lovingly brings comfort to you. And when you feel as though you cannot walk yourself, he is there to uphold you or to even carry you. Church, may you know that. God is there in the midst of it. And the third thing, I reference this, but God is able to bring good from whatever it is that you face. When or how he will do it, I do not know. But this I do know, he will do it. He will bring good. Where... What are you living through? What are you going through? What are you confronted with? What adversity do you feel as though you 've been plagued with as as we close with this last song it 's all in all. I, I just hope that you will sense that God, you are my strength whenever i 'm weak. You are the treasure that I seek. God, worthy are you. This is about you. And you you have permitted difficulty to come into my life. But you are also able to use that difficulty in my life. So I come and I surrender myself to you. Trusting that you will bring about the good that you intend. You are not surprised. By what I face. You are with me. And may I find my strength. May you find your strength. Lord, we come to you this morning. Recognizing that we have adversity. We have difficulty. But also recognizing that you are with us in the midst of that. Lord, give us strength to carry on. If anyone is here this morning and feels like they are at the end of their rope. Lord, may they find encouragement today from you. Lord, may we root ourselves in you, the truth of who you are. Lord, we love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.